I speak on behalf of myself, Denny Taylor, LPC, co-host of the Movies for Win podcast, and my affiliate, Greg Work, L-E-G Work, and co-host of the Movies for Win podcast. Hello. We would like to issue an official statement apologizing not only for last week's episode not existing, but also for all of the rest of the episodes that do exist. Please be patient with us as we try to avoid cancellation. <laughs> Is that how apologies work? I think so. It's like a spoken version of a notes app. I, it's, it's great. Thank I think you. we're in the right format for it. It, se it seemed very heartfelt, very sincere. So if I was an audience member, I would accept this apology. But that's just me. Yeah, yeah, but I just hope... I think Kurosawa will accept this apology um, because it is him who we have truly failed. That's right. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> our episode about dreams now is uh, more of a art statement that the episode now exists also only in our dreams. So and in a shitty shitty audio recording I saved for later. <laughs> yeah, it's unlistenable, folks. So <laughs> that's what happened. Denny's microphone decided to. Uh, go kaput so he's ordered a new one so we're back on the macbook pro microphone from the olden days of the podcast so this is a little bit of a throwback yeah it's uh it's reflective of our judgment at the time that i started a podcast without a microphone and that we started our podcast with an episode that included coverage of fucking nomadland that's what we wanted to come out and face the world with our, our big statement on who we are as a podcast and what to expect from us. Yeah, that was my bad, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who knew the Academy would screw something up? But, uh, you know, lesson learned for next time, I guess. Tune in next week for Green Book, folks. Um, so, anyways. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do a previously on. Denny. So previously on Movies for Win, the episode that none of you will ever hear, we covered Dreams. It was a good time. Uh, what I watched, L.A. Confidential, good movie. Zodiac, great movie. Gran Turismo, very mid. American Fiction and Anatomy of a Fall. I'll talk about them in the Oscars episodes. And then I gave Dreams a 31 out of 40. Good anthology. So that's Damn. that's my previously on. Do you want to rifle through your <clears throat> extensive what you watch list? I feel like it's it's too long and impressive to not like at least catalog. So Yeah. <laughs> I so I uh had the flu and several hyperfixations and a lot of time on my hands. Um I I the, the I binged pretty hard on some cool stuff. Um 
I think I'm just going to say what I watched because brevity is not my strength. Um, so I'm just going to say the titles of the movie. Follow my lead. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I watched uh, 1977's Wizards, 1983's Fire and Ice, 1984's Delta Space Mission, 1982's The Masters of Time, 1994's In the Mouth of Madness, 1981's Possession, 1986's Big Trouble in Little China, 1993's Necronomicon, available exclusively on VHS that I bought on eBay, 1984's Dreamscape, starring Dennis fucking Quaid, 1981's The Beyond, it is like fucking fantastic, Fulci, 2001's Dagon Sucks, 2024's Lisa Frankenstein is what it is, 2000's Rugrats in Paris, the movie sucks, 1983's Rock and Roll. It was alright. <laughs> and finally, yeah. I gave... Oh, right, there's more. Akira Kurosawa's Dreams, a 50 out of 50. Hell yeah. This is how you do an anthology, folks. Uh, good good summary. I forgot you watched that many things. Sounds like uh, Possession was the best of the bunch there. I'd say so. Yeah, Possession, I think I gave like a 48. Um, yeah, I really want to watch it again and could definitely see us uh, finding several themes for uh, Possession to fit in. Okay. Yeah, I'm into it. Um I had some funny shit to say about Gran Turismo, but that's lost to time now. Uh, dream about it, why don't you? I uh, I had a lot of nine eleven talk about Rugrats in Paris. <laughs> that's why the episode went ker- kerplunk. Because <laughs> we knew too much. Um, at least we were allowed to live, Denny. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, this week we're here to cover the audience selection. I I think we've got some good plans to kind of close out this series. This isn't going to be the last episode of the series. The poll winner, though, for Movies for When You've Got Too Many Stories was uh, the anthology based on a comic book. We watched Sin City. What a time. Thank you guys for voting. It was a competitive poll that seemed to change leads quite a bit. Sin City came out on top, though, Denny, but... uh, other than that, what else did you watch? I'm sure lots of other comic book adaptations into film. Um, no, because uh, I hope I never see or hear of a fucking comic book again as long as I live. I'm so over that. Um, unless yeah, it's different, something dope yeah, sorry. like Sin City. Sorry. Yeah, different autism. That's all I was going to say. Um, yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the Kevin Smith autism, and we'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling we're about to. <laughs> um, I, I have a I have a significant watch list this week, Greg. It's not as long, but again, uh, it is it is a I I have experienced significant films that I need to talk about. Um, okay, starting uh, with the most recent feature from notable auteur, the real human Breen. Neil Breen himself. I watched Cade, The Tortured Crossing on a DVD that autoplays when you put it in with no menu. God, yes. Hell yeah. Um, if you, uh, if you're not familiar with Neil Breen, type his name into YouTube and come back. Um, he is, uh, insane. He's an insane person. 
Um, Cade, The Tortured Crossing is a sequel to Twisted Pair, uh, where Neil Breen played uh, two characters, twins. Um, it was clear that he had purchased for that movie a Breen screen. Uh, there was a lot of uh, new mm. techniques um, used in Cade, The Tortured, or in uh, 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 Twisted Pair. Uh, and Cade the Tortured Crossing uh, followed up to new levels of technological innovation. Uh, it was shot entirely on green screen. Uh, not a single physical location used. Uh, it was shot in 95% wide shot in what was clearly <laughs> a studio he rented for three or four days that did green screen sets. Um, and it's just a bunch of unintelligible gibberish. I never had any fucking idea what was going on in the whole movie. Um, it definitely seems like he's sundowning um, at this point. Um, mm. This man is a treasure. Uh, I, I highly recommend Cade the Tortured Crossing. Um, honestly, though, probably my least favorite Neil Breen movie so far. Um, it's it, I'd put it in the same ballpark as those ones where he's just like wandering around a desert for three movies. Who am I? What am I? No, I'm I'm excited to watch this one. I, I'm glad to hear it ranks highly among other Breen films. Um, there is some can't-miss tiger shit in this one, I will say. Oh, buddy, I hope so. Like He's done away with laptops, and he's replaced them with tigers. He's really gotten back to his roots, because in one of those desert ones, there's a stock footage tiger that he's like always pretending to approach well who else can tame a wild animal you know <laughs> he was just sitting um doing a word find on the back of a box of frosted flakes and saw the mascot and said this really speaks to me so <laughs> you can find inspiration from anywhere is all i'm saying yeah um so that's Neil Breen. Um, I, I put the uh, I put the DVD uh, in a prominent place in my in my household so everybody can see uh, what a man of status I am. Um, <laughs> Just how cultured this house really is. Yeah. I uh, I won't spoil the closing segment, but I watched uh, next week's movie, and I'm just saying so, so I can say for the first time in the three-year history of this podcast, I am ahead on movies for when. Um, thank you, oh. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I'm I'm behind. Uh oh! Oh shit! I... You haven't even watched this week's movie. Oh no! <laughs> we were supposed to watch it. You did that one time. You were like watching the movie silently it was... as we recorded. It was Thor Ragnarok, and I had like 15 minutes left, and I just was had it on my iPad or something with subtitles on while we uh, had started the episode already. <laughs> Down to the wire, this man. Um... So, um, oh my God, Greg. Oh, yeah. So I'm going through a bit of a werewolf phase. I got some symbolic wolfman tattoos with me and my wife last weekend. Um, and, uh, yeah, one team of my, Jacob. Huh? what? I said team Jacob all the way. Let's go. Yes. Um, if I may. one of my favorite werewolf movies Possibly my pick for best werewolf movie is uh, Joe Dante's The Howling. Um, and I would like to cover it one day. Uh, but uh, needless to say, when I was looking for 
a werewolf movie to watch and i saw that the sequel to that movie is called howling 2 your sister is a werewolf i had to check <laughs> this movie out um the original title for the movie had that had to be changed in america but was released elsewhere uh the the, the antagonist name is uh, sturba uh, and the title was Howling to Sturba Werewolf Bitch. <laughs> That's way better. Yeah. Come on. But they hold were up, all like... Hold up, hold up. Her sister was a werewolf. And what was her sister? The Wicked Werewolf of the East. <laughs> it's it's For funny you, that you should mix genres like that, Greg, because this movie has a bit of an interesting people. story. Oh, God. We we have to do this on the show one day. Um, I actually, uh, I was looking for some YouTube videos and stuff on it, and it hasn't been covered to death. Uh, and it is a, f- I've discovered something, Greg. Um, so. That feels good. The, the author of the book, The Howling, uh, hated Joe Dante, who made The Howling 1, because Joe Dante said that uh, he improved upon the book and fixed problems with it. Arrogant fucker. (laughs) Maker of Gremlins, ladies and gentlemen, uh, said his movie was better than the book. Um, And it probably was, because who reads? But that guy was like, fuck him. I'm making The Howling 2. He's adapting his book uh, to the screenplay, but he ultimately has to back out of, of writing it because he has some uh some book deadlines he has to work on so his co-writer throws his script out (laughs) takes a script that he wrote about vampires changes the vampires to werewolves copy and paste style submits it to the studio it goes into production (laughs) and when they start when they start producing, they get their costumes from the studio in a box marked Planet of the Apes. They call the studio and say, uh, <laughs> you sent us monkey costumes. And they said, you're creative. You'll figure it out. <laughs> so, Greg, they're werewolves who act like vampires, but look like monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to watch this (laughs) and the star of the show in the center of all of this for some fucking reason sir christopher lee oh wow (laughs) oh what what year was this um it was 1985 um christopher lee uh (laughs) said he'd always wanted to do a werewolf movie, and that's why he took the project. Oh, Um, no. When he was on the set of Gremlins 2 for his cameo, he apologized to Joe Dante for being in this movie. Um, (laughs) Incredible. He was said to just look beleaguered on set. (laughs) Like, just, like, truly disappointed in the acting he was seeing. So... This movie is, like, one giant werewolf orgy. Like, that's what the werewolves are most interested in, is fucking each other. Um, It, in terms of horniness, (laughs) like, we have not truly seen a horny movie on this podcast, I'm telling you, Greg. Oh, I I was gonna say, like, what happened to Heavy Metal? We just discussed this. (laughs) This 
Could this be true? Is it already going to be dethroned when we cover Howling 2? Her sister heavy, was a princess? Heavy Werewolf? Metal is like a fucking Sunday school coloring book compared to Howling 2. Okay. Um, <laughs> this movie is exhilarating in every way. Um, I have truly never seen anything like it. Balls to the wall every second. Um, the way it is edited... Um, they it definitely seems like they're winking at it. I don't know what shooting it was like, but it's definitely edited for entertainment. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, um, I seriously almost gave it a fifty out of fifty. Like seriously. Yeah. And then you took a look in the mirror and said, "This is single digits, low single digits, well, count on one hand, kind of digits." I wanted to give it a high rating for how truly amazingly entertaining it was and because I felt like it was intentional, like the experience they created, I felt like it was intentional. Uh-huh. So, But I was like, the most I could give it is like a 39 because I can't say it's like something just anyone would find accessible or should watch. But then I realized that what Critiker recommended to me was a fitting rating that I hardly ever give, that I give way less than I give a 50, um, that truly immortalizes it. And I gave it a 1 out of 50, uh, which is a very, very rare... uh, I've only given it to, like, three or four movies, and uh, this was done with love uh, in, in every in every way um we i almost want to say like stop everything we need to do this movie right now <laughs> like i can't stop thinking about it listen we'll we'll get there okay. we'll absolutely get there it is insane um that is my <laughs> opening recommendation um i also watched um available only on dvd the 2005 50 minute short film made by the hp lovecraft historical society I watched The Call of Cthulhu. Um, it was mm. a blast. Um, it was really, really good. I've been watching a lot of Lovecraft stuff lately, and this is probably the best adaptation I've seen. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, man, storytelling-wise, uh, structurally, tonally, uh, no notes, fantastic. Um, there was some really cool creative stop-motion and just creative like storytelling visually. Um you know, the only complaints I have were just uh, it comes across very amateurish at times because of just like what's obviously budget, you know, like, yeah, um, there's even a few scenes where they're like, <laughs> they're like pixelated, you know, like it's like, oh, come on, guys. Um, but um, but really, it's like, dude, as far as like their talents as filmmakers i would have loved to see what these guys could have done with better cameras you know like it seriously could have been just that like if they were able to access more expensive cameras i think this would be like kind of a masterpiece oh i didn't even mention it's told in the format of a silent film um okay nice which is it was the it was a great choice for telling the story i thought uh it was a really good choice um so trying to frame like cthulhu in a in a sense of like, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Classic monsters, Universal monsters, Universal monsters. Thank you. I yeah, I, I would say that's a very apt uh, summary, and I can't believe it didn't occur to me. Uh, you, you may be the real fan, Greg, um, but no, that's exactly correct. Um, 
so yeah, had to buy a DVD for that. Was happy to do it. I'm I'm loving getting a, a collection of oddities in physical media. Uh, and finally, I watched mm-hmm. Kevin mm-hmm. Smith's Tusk. Um, I'd heard that it was A24's worst movie ever, um, but that it was also about turning a dude into a walrus and knowing myself i was like how much could i possibly hate a movie where they turn a dude into a walrus that's kind of my thing you know um so it wasn't the absurdity of the premise it was the terribleness of literally every fucking moment of this movie oh my god i have never in my life seen a more annoying movie than tusk it is written so terribly and so inconsequentially i am embarrassed for kevin smith for revealing to the world what he thinks smart people sound like oh my god this movie is an atrocity in every way i hate it I hate Kevin Smith. I hate Justin Long. And for so long, I have pretended that Kevin Smith is not the biggest fucking hack in the universe because people I like and respect seem to have a thing for what he does. But oh my God, I cannot. I can't do it anymore after seeing this. Um, This is worse than you could possibly imagine. Like, do you do it? Like, Think about what would make me hate a movie about a walrus flesh suit, Greg. <laughs> like, think about, like, how hard you'd have to work against that for me as your audience. That would have to be, yeah, intentional effort. It is insufferable. Justin Long should be put in jail for what he did in this movie. Movie jail. No. Yeah. American jail. Oh, American jail. <laughs> American jail. Like, someone right. should arrest Justin Long for this performance. <laughs> I'm not joking. I will never, ever be able to forgive him for this, no matter what he does. I gave it a 2 out of 50 because I didn't think it deserved to be mentioned in the same breath as Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you you can't really categorize them together. It sounds like so. Yeah. That's what I call okay. a fuck you two. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, damning with faint praise and all that, you know? Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not supposed to be getting this emotional. <laughs> well, he brings it out of you, I guess. Um, stay I tuned for next Kevin week, Smith. All right, all right, buddy. I get it. I didn't like Mallrats either. It's fine. <laughs> Is everything he does overrated? He kind named of. his daughter fucking Harley Quinn. Oh, my God. That's just the mark of a cool person right there, honestly. The Denny's movie has uh, has hit. I didn't even mention Johnny Depp is in this movie in a fucking full makeup build. Uh, and fucking kevin smith's daughter and johnny depp's daughter play convenience store girls and they act together and it's oh my god greg it's 
I didn't need to know that. I I already wasn't ever gonna see this movie, and now I I'm up there with you disliking it all of a sudden. There's like four scenes. Like they're just oh right okay. <laughs> there's like four fucking scenes that they just keep. I didn't like the movie. Really. Oh oh okay. Thank I didn't you like the movie. Thank you for your <laughs> brief summary of your feelings towards this film. Um, sarcasm, Denny. I'm glad you got that off your chest, brother. Thank you. So, I uh, needed to you, vent that. You texted me after you watched it, and it sounded like you had a lot to uh, kind of get out there. And I'm happy to give you the platform. So, uh, folks, don't watch Tusk. I guess I can't believe I pay a therapist when I can just do this. I can just do this. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm hardly qualified. Now, Denny, if you're all done, I'm going to talk about the stuff I watched. That's cool with you. At this point yes. in the podcast, this far in, I am ready. I'll to move on i'll be quick <laughs> me me be quick uh i watched uh, probably one of the better movies i've seen in this genre that i don't like of hey did you ever wonder how beanie babies became a business no never once i hate that shit that's so lame i watched blackberry i didn't watch the beanie baby ones because i couldn't imagine giving a fuck about that it's awesome but i don't care i'm i don't care i'm not gonna see it I watched Blackberry though, because that's how where Blackberries came from. Because I knew Glenn Howerton was in it, being an absolute maniac, and boy, did that pay off! Oh my gosh, I hate how the movie's shot. It's very handheld and like janky, and like there's quick zooms, and it's just like extra. There's just like unnecessary movement, and it frustrates me. But mm. uh, it's worth it for the Glenn Howerton performance. You know who that is. Dennis from It's Always Sunny. Yes. Oh shit. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yes. That's yeah. not as much of a household name, but yeah, like you see that face, you're like, oh, Dennis. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. He's he kicks ass in it. It's so good. Um. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's a movie about a business that got started that I didn't really care about too much then, and I don't really care about now. We can't. You're not going to recreate the Social Network, people. That was that was lightning in a bottle. Stop trying. But what about Hot Cheetos? What about the fake story about how those got invented? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to watch that either. Um, <laughs> two things I watched. I was scrolling through Amazon Prime. Like, they added new uh, movies, and I was like, let's put some stuff on the watch list, see what shakes out. I was like, oh, this movie looks good. Put it on the watch list. And then I found another one. I put it on the watch list. And I accidentally put two movies from the same director that came out 51 years apart. I watched the first and last movies of Sidney Lumet. I watched 12 Angry Men, a stone-cold classic. Okay, you have a question? No, no, no. I just, I just, um, I, I saw that on Critiker that you watched it, yeah. Yeah, that was a really good one. It was, you know, it's a movie that takes place essentially in one room, and... I don't know. It's it's just a good bit of storytelling, new information getting revealed, tensions kind of building, and I I was gonna pitch a remake, Twelve Hangry Men, where those same guys can't decide on what to order for lunch. And tensions keep rising, bubbling to the surface. One guy wants Jersey Mike's, 
the other guy wants Quiznos, and they're at each other's throats. How, how many of them are Ghostbusters since we're doing remakes? Um, Finn Wolfhart is the, <laughs> is the bailiff. That's all. <laughs> Shoot, Judge Reinhold is the judge. No, it, it's it's a good watch. It's it's a classic for a reason. I didn't rate it too terribly high, but yeah, it, it's definitely a cool watch. And then, fifty-one years later, we I added to my watch of the cinema of two thousand seven, one of the best years of movies. Uh, Sidney Lumet's last movie, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. It was also it's yeah. Have you heard of that one? You seen this? No, or, I was just like, what a badass title to go out on, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, shit. It's a good movie. It's it's fine. It's all right. The cast is a plus. We got Philip Seymour Hoffman, Ethan mm. Hawke, Marissa mm. Tomei, and uh, Shannon. Michael Shannon is is one of his earlier movies. It's pretty good. It is kind of an annoying thing that was like kind of a trend at the time of we follow one person's story and it gets to a point where we gotta like focus on another character so we gotta like switch back to the beginning of the story but from their perspective and we're like putting pieces together I don't like that method of storytelling I thought we would have learned from Vantage Point but uh, I guess not or Crash that piece of shit movie um, yeah I but the story was fine. The acting, especially from Hoffman and Hawk, were outstanding. Ethan Hawk, man, he's on the rise in my mind. Stocks are going up mm-hmm. for a 17-year-old movie. And lastly, I watched... Uh, I was going to say it's probably one of my lower-rated A24 movies, but I then heard Denny complain about the worst A24 movie and. <laughs> What, we could just remove the A24, man. <laughs> uh, this one's way less embarrassing. I watched a newer movie from this past year, You Hurt My Feelings, Julie Louise Dreyfus. It's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically like a, a woman, she's an author, and she's like, catches her husband out in public. She's like, ooh, I'm going to go sneak up on him and say hi. And then he she overhears him like bad mouthing her new book and how he doesn't actually like it it's a, it's a story about the little white lies we tell our partners to not hurt their feelings but actually that's doing more damage or whatever i don't know i found it extremely unrelatable it was very um i don't know i married a hispanic woman so this this sort of thing isn't happening in my household so <laughs> there's no there's no secrets going on there, and yeah, it's just, just like call this white girl problems and dismiss this it. This is this is white girl problems. This is rich white New Yorker problems, Gross. and I was I was annoyed with almost all of the characters by the end of the movie. Her husband is a therapist, and Ugh. even I was like, this isn't portraying that Denny would have some notes about this. I don't know. <laughs> His big arc is that he finally tries in a session one time, and he's like, oh, I'm a good therapist again. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> That's my arc, too. <laughs> one of these days, Denny's, one day, one of these days, Denny's going to try. Um, yeah, it, 
it didn't sit too well with me and whatever it's it's enjoyable enough dreyfus is always funny i've i've never not liked her and stuff so whatever man that's it that's all the stuff i watched beautiful beautiful damn 30 minutes later sorry folks we've uh We've had a lot going on. Denny had a, apparently a whole shit. Let's let's watch less impactful things for the next week or so, and just talk about dumb bullshit instead of having to like offload a lot of emotions about werewolves and me? walruses. Do you think this is gonna stop, Greg? Mm. <sighs> I'm just saying. I'll make you watch next again or something. All right, so we're here to discuss Denny. We're here made it well let's let's dive in let's crack open the pages of this graphic novel and talk about sin city from 2005 damn hey you can watch this it's it's in your regular rental places like uh youtube or amazon video or you can just watch it on pluto tv it's there for you so that's where you can find it now denny i'll start us off with a critical review of the week for sin city please do because i I think I'm very interested in hearing our relationships on this one. I think this is going to be a maybe a, not a tricky topic, but a, definitely a unique to other movies we've covered kind of topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, our critic review of the week: this user gave it a 76 out of 100 and said hated it at a first watch because I tried to see something behind clever lines and cool visuals. At a second watch, I realized there wasn't more any more to it than that. And it made it so much better. And I gotta kind of agree with that. You're just in it for the experience. I don't know, man. This is a very pulpy, weird, uh, noir flick with the most insanely creative visuals I've ever seen. So I'm excited to talk about it. Now, Denny, what's your relationship with Sin City? Uh, you put it on the poll. Good idea, by the way. Thank you. Uh, would you... When did you see it first? Um, a couple days ago. Uh, mm, a word? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I remember it being like a, uh, a very popular movie when I was in high school. Um, yep. And I was always just like, well, I haven't read that comic, so whatever. <laughs> just never saw it and like completely forgot about it. And um, I don't know if I Googled it and found it or if someone on Facebook suggested it, but I guess I honestly didn't realize it was an anthology. And I was like, oh, shit. Uh, and I uh, I kind of wanted to see it. It looked kind of neat. So it actually was uh, one of the movies I voted for on the poll and uh, the one I was rooting for. But, yeah, I went in uh, pretty cold. And uh, honestly, kind of like the Critiker Review of the Week, got a little more appreciation for it after uh, a little more thought and a little more research. Uh, what say you? What's your relationship with it? Yeah, um, well, damn, I guess. I, I thought you would have a lot more history with it, but, yeah, it was huge when you and I were in, like, early high school. Yeah. And I remember, like, those days on the Internet, if you were some kind of edgy person, you would post that gif of Bruce Wells shooting himself in the head and, like, that black and white kind of thing. Like, oh, this guy's edgy. <laughs> but, yeah, I... I I watched it once when it was relatively new. I forgot this was an anthology. I'm not going to lie. You put it on the poll and I was like, oh yeah, that is kind of a few different stories kind of going along. 
Um, sorry, I haven't seen this one in 18-ish years. Yeah, I was, I was kind of excited to cover it again. This, I guess I hadn't thought about it. For some reason in my head, this was a Zack Snyder film. Because um, Frank Miller also wrote uh, 300, the graphic novel. Okay. <clears throat> and George Miller wrote Watchmen? I believe so, yes. I don't know. If Alan Moore. Someone... Alan Moore. George Miller. Who the fuck is Wait, that? no. I, th- George Miller's two... Mad Max. What am I thinking? <laughs> Alan Moore wrote Watchmen. Zack Snyder did Watchmen. So I was thinking of, like, around that time period comic book movies you know you had your iron mans and your spider-man spider-man if i may <laughs> but there were also there was also stuff like watchmen this movie that were just like one-off adaptations of like graphic novels for better or worse so i just i don't know why i think i i connected like watchmen and this movie as like Zack snyder projects and i guess 300 as well that was uh i think a year or two before or after Sin City. It might have been the same year. I don't remember. I think, Who cares? No, I think after. I think after. I want to uh, say 06. 06. 06. Mm. Yeah, it's 06. Yeah, that was important. That Boy, we got do that. I know where uh, I was when I heard about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like, it made me, watching this again, and I guess even just thinking about it again, made me miss the days of like, a comic book adaptation that was just just a graphic novel or at the very least like didn't have to fit is some kind of small puzzle piece in a giant picture of flashy superheroes chopping down a bunch of like gray faceless bad guys or air quotes here i don't know it's it doesn't have to fit into your mcu or your dcu Zack Snyder, of course, went into the DC um, field pursuit dungeon. Dungeon? <laughs> hell! <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Zack Snyder's in DC hell right now, and that sucks for our guy. But um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I was surprised when I went to the Critiker page, and I I had a rating for it, and I was shocked to see that. Uh, Frank Miller co-directed it with Robert Rodriguez. Yes. With uh, Quentin Tarantino's name also attached. Yes. But uh, I was pleasantly surprised by this fact and watched it again with like a kind of a renewed sort of anticipation for seeing what our boy Robert had to, (laughs) what he made for us. Hell fucking yeah, dude. Um, Sounds like we're both pretty sweet on this one. Um, where can we watch it? I don't recall. Oh, Pluto TV. I mentioned that. Oh, did you? Well, excuse me. Uh, um, <laughs> did we do a synopsis? Uh, no, we didn't. Um, I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, Sin City. It's an anthology based on a comic book by Frank Miller, who also directed it. How cool is that? He just adapted his own thing. Who, who better to do it? Uh, it is a noir series kind of set in a fictional city that's just overrun by gangsters and mobsters and um, prostitutes, c- crooked cops, 
all kinds of people. Uh, dames and all that, you know? Dames, I feel like, is a good summary of some of the themes of this film. Uh, it follows a few different stories of... Uh, we've got assassins, we've got cops, we've got uh, women that control a certain part of the city with uh, violence and sexuality. The way they mix those, I like it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just... it's. I think it's only three stories wherein the first one is the first one is bookended and that's probably like three minutes of screen time and then yeah, we get a second uh, story bastard no the first oh, one no, is like customer, the, jo the, the Josh Hart the Josh Hartnett one yes yes and then yes. we've got a story about a cop played by Bruce Willis about 10 minutes long in the beginning and then we come back to that story for about another half hour. And in the middle are two stories of Mickey Rourke um, avenging his deceased prostitute. And this whole thing goes all the way to the top or whatever. And then Clive Owen teaming up with Rosario Dawson and a bunch of other women to uh, protect, um, protect Ladytown. I don't know how else to put that, that, <laughs> that segment. That was a weird one. I think I was a little bit uh, mentally starting to check out around that one. But I don't know. It's a lot of cool different stories. I think the synopsis of the plot doesn't matter as much as what you're getting with the visuals. Mm -hmm. That's really, like the review said, it's, it's, it's what you came for and you get visual um, uniqueness, visual creativity in absolute spades. And even though the, I would say a lot of the CGI moments feel very 2005, there is something undeniable about the creativity and the scenes that do work, specifically in like the black and white kind of tones and those color pop moments of what they choose to colorize, just make this movie stand out. And thankfully it's never been replicated or attempted to replicate this kind of visual style i didn't see the sequel there's a sequel to this i didn't watch it i don't know about you so yeah denny hit me with a note um i kind of dumped a lot of thoughts on uh kind of the intro here yeah yeah no um <clears throat> well i uh i wanted to just add that like this movie left me i i watched um uh, I watched some videos on it on YouTube and did a little research in it. And uh, I watched one video that was making a case of like that this movie is what CGI and green screens could have been in a less complacent Hollywood. Um, and like mm -hmm. an example of how you could use this technology that uh, a lot of people aren't fans of and feel like just kind of cheapens and waters down movies. Um, and how like this could this could actually be like a an artist driven thing a creativity driven thing um and it really left me thinking that you know i'd i'd agree with you that uh not everything about this movie worked but i would prefer a director like robert rodriguez who has a vision and take and takes risk to mm -hmm someone who plays it safe and bats a thousand you know like i yeah. i'm i'm so much more a fan of of inspired filmmaking you know um that's it's why this... i fuck with jordan peele even though like like us and nope aren't amazing movies but like they're so inspired and that's something that i just miss 
Just yeah. miss it. Dude, like, I think you summarize it perfectly by calling this movie in general, the way it was made, a, a massive, massive risk. There's something that feels so, maybe not cheap, but maybe like early or rudimentary about the CGI in it. Mm-hmm. But like the the scenes around those moments and the world that those moments exist in feel so unreplicable is just like how the hell did they make this part yeah you can see some of the strings being pulled and you're seeing this puppet and you're watching the strings being pulled but the backdrop is something that you're like how the hell did they make this yeah. and it's any any sort of complaint you have about like these little micro areas are all existing in a fully realized world and vision that is it kind of commands your immersion back the other way you may get distracted with the bad cgi but you're like yeah that sucked but look where we're at right now this is unbelievable risk that's that's what risk is all about absolutely man absolutely um this movie had some risky choices um you know like and apparently like I i looked at how it was made a little bit and uh Frank Miller was not eager to do it um, and because um, mm-hmm. di- he like didn't think it could be done um, or definitely didn't think it could be done faithfully. And uh, like uh, Robert Rodriguez got uh, <laughs> Josh Hartnett and uh, who's the other actor from the first short? I don't remember. The first short is it was just Josh Hartnett and that woman in the red dress. Yeah. Uh, the first the first the second one was Bruce Willis and uh, that guy that's in all the Tarantino movies that I can't ever remember his name and I feel bad about it. But uh... Michael Madsen. Oh, okay, okay. From Kill Bill and all that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently they like went and shot the first short like as a favor just to prove it could be done to get Frank Miller on board. And uh, mm-hmm. Robert Rodriguez was apparently very insistent that like, it be a translation not an adaptation you know like in really like apparently they just used the comic as the storyboards and uh we're just like playing around on set with different stuff and uh cool this was shot like uh like so many of the actors never met uh actors that don't have uh, actors that have fight scenes like uh elijah wood and mickey rourke were never on set on the same day uh and uh didn't meet oh, until the premiere wow. and like their shit was shot months apart <laughs> like the whole it's insane like it's in, like the the ambition that, that that went into this i don't you know i complained about certain cgi moments or whatever i don't think i ever would have clocked that yeah no it, it didn't show yeah. at all and that's what's so impressive yeah and yeah. say what you will like elijah wood's character with his little kitty cat moves is pretty wild thing to put on screen i think it works better in still image i will say that (laughs) but the effective like oh man i kind of wanted to get into the color contrast a little bit later sure but i guess while we're still in like the filmmaking segment and i do want to hear more from you about like how it was made kind of what you found but just the way this came across you you know black and white movies if a movie comes out that's black and white now, it'll be an emphasis on grays or bright light or like 
a bright light within a dark space. I've never seen a black and white film use white so effectively. Yeah. Where, like, you know, sometimes a character will get shot and there will be, like, red blood. Other times it'll just be white, pure white coming out of, like, their arm or whatever. Yeah. And Elijah Wood's glasses are pure white. And I don't know. There's just something more striking about that is just like it makes it feel like a comic book come to life it feels extremely exaggerated but not in a way that kind of makes it feel unrealistic in any way it's super interesting i that's one of the main risks that i'm talking about is like not only are we going to shoot it in black and white with like some you know color pop here and there but one of the driving colors is just going to be pure white. It's just going to be bright white coming off your screen and hitting your eyes. That's that's a risk in and of itself. That is a use of color in a sense that you don't get from any other black and white film. So, Yep. 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 <laughs> um, man, I'm just, as, as you're talking about it, I'm just getting hit with, like, imagery of the show or of the movie. Um, I just feel like... I, I kind of went into this with a rating in mind and was like, hmm, I'm going to see how our conversation goes. It might be a little higher, might be a little lower. Um, but I'm, I'm mm-hmm. just finding myself just kind of increasingly falling for this movie um, and, and increasingly appreciating uh, uh, creatively and also just like technically what was brought to the table for 2005. Um, and... I guess I just always seen it as like, um, <clears throat> honestly, because I heard people talking about it in high school, um, and never really since. I just assumed it was the kind of shit that only a high schooler would think was cool, you know? Um, right, Ed- edgelord <laughs> shit. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Um, but uh, I-, I would definitely not say that, having seen it. I, I think it's a really, uh, really impressive movie in so many ways. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I would say mostly technically. I would say not everything about the movie has, you know, grown on me or I'm not finding appreciation with everything featured. But from a technical standpoint, I think I'm more impressed with it now than I was at the time. Yeah. Even though, like, you get... There's some silly images, like Mickey Rourke getting juggled by a car. Like, that's a little... while having an internal monologue that's that's pretty funny <laughs> and there are like robocop levels of dudes getting shot and just kind of pushing through <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah uh and i think you know i i kind of like i kind of need a movie to have some stylization for me to find it accessible um, and, I, and I think that's where uh, where our tastes just kind of differ a lot. I, I think I sway a lot more in the direction of Sin City than you do. And I think uh, I think just like aesthetics and vibe, you know, go a long way with me. And I, I'm also a pretty big noir fan. So um, I also mm-hmm. didn't when people told me this was a comic book movie, I didn't think I didn't associate comic books with like film noir you know like you know like that's just not something i but thought you sh- of i thought of you should that's what sucks <laughs> yeah i guess i should i don't know comic they i don't know 
it's like they did the they did this and then i think like the worst example i can think of was that first thor movie they tried to make it look like a comic book but like only by doing dutch angles sometimes <laughs> and i don't know it's like this shot looks like a comic book panel it's just like eh. but then you have like standard two camera shots of people having a conversation and you're back in movie mode and then we're trying to ah they were still figuring it out and um luckily they've uh, found found their way found their footing and have not lost the thread on keeping something that big interesting it's uh, it's all uphill upwards from here for the mcu can't wait for she hulk season three or whatever <laughs> captain falcon and the winter falcon season six <laughs> I think it's a, a Marvel Arctic Thunder featuring Ghostbusters or something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm putting a, together a Ghostbusters team. <laughs> okay. Can you imagine an MCU Ghostbusters crossover, Greg? OMG. I don't feel like I have to wait very long. Yeah, I, I did want to shout out uh, someone that I recognize because I was doing this a lot. I was doing the um, DiCaprio snapping and pointing at the TV. Every time I recognized an actor, I was like, oh, there's uh, there's Ron Swanson. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, Rosario Dawson or whoever. They, I recognized by voice Brittany Murphy. She played the character Shelley, and she was Luann from King of the Hill. Oh, shit. Yeah. Manger Babies. Manger Babies, that's right. Wow. Uncle Hank. <laughs> um, and then I went to her IMDb page. I completely forgot that she died. Oh. In, in 2009. Fuck. From a mysterious illness that also killed her boyfriend. And it's a really, really, really weird situation that i kind of want to dive more into i don't know it's it's super strange i felt really bad reading that in the first place um yeah rest in peace Brittany murphy that this sucks man emotional roller coaster for yeah me. i took you on the high and then i dropped that's how i felt i was like what she she hasn't had a movie since 2010 i wonder what, oh no oh shit so she won't be in the king of the hill remake uh, sad to say oh Yeesh. Yikers. Man. As speaking of the the treatment of women, Denny, let's get into this. Take a machete to this thicket of uh situation here. Let's talk about how <laughs> women are portrayed and displayed in this movie. Well, I do think they were mostly portrayed with their titties out. That's the displayed. That's ah, where I was ah. going with that word. They are portrayed as... It's it's weird. The majority of the stories are men protecting women. Or men yeah. avenging women in some way. Usually protecting. And in most of these cases, the men that feel tasked with protecting these women do smack these women in the mouth. <laughs> At least once. It's... <laughs> 
I'm like, okay, okay. I guess this is where like the noir sort of uh, genre comes out in full force. But maybe, just maybe not every time. I don't think we need it every time. Preferably not at all, but definitely not every time. Yeah, that's just me. I guess I just honestly I didn't really bat an eye, and maybe I should have. Um, but to me, it was just like typical robert rodriguez grindhouse fair you know like he uh yeah. is such a fanboy of uh you know like a pretty rough <laughs> genre a very exploitative genre and he pretty much makes tributes to that in most of his stuff and uh as a film nerd i enjoy it uh but i guess i just kind of see that as his grindhouse stuff you know like i, I don't know mm -hmm. i didn't think i didn't read much into it to be honest uh i do think that uh man oh five was uh, women in media in the aughts man um what a what a strange relationship media had with women in that decade right yeah they were after all objects at that time my understanding at least i feel like they like <laughs> were granted more personhood and like fucking leave it to beaver and the brady bunch you know like <laughs> than, than like you know like the man show era of comedy central <laughs> jesus christ yeah yeah then you go but then you go back there you're like uh just just the white ones actually it's just like there's no <laughs> it's not a lot of positives to look back on in portrayal of groups in media let's just say we're well represented we look like fucking rock stars, Denny. But we shouldn't. <laughs> but we shouldn't. I don't. I don't know that when you look back at history, you go, "The straight white men—they were the rock stars." <laughs> Unless we're talking about the eighties. But Unless I would we're still talking say most about of them were at least by <laughs> literal rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't like all the way straight. Come on. Two of the bandmates were just roommates and very, very close friends who had never <laughs> happened to get married to anybody. It was the strangest thing. <laughs> they were just <laughs> friends. I feel like I've made this joke before. Anyways. Oh, uh, man. So the content of the film, Denny, it feels like we're kind of leading up to this. Sure. Um, let's talk about some of the stories. Where, where were you kind of... How do you feel about the pacing of the stories? I know, like... Our last movie we discussed, which was eons ago, was Heavy Metal. Mm -hmm. And there was just, like, different segments, one after the other. One's two minutes long, one's ten minutes long. This one's structured a whole lot differently. Yes. How do you feel like this flowed, especially with departing stories only to come back to them later? So I feel like... Um, <clears throat> I feel like they were going for symmetry, you know? Like... Yes. Bookend, bookend, standalone, standalone, bookend, bookend, you know? Yeah. But, and even the bookends were like short, short, short on the beginning, short on the end, medium in the beginning, medium on the end, and then two longs right in the middle. So you kind of yeah. get this bell curve of storytelling going. I, I do feel that the pacing kind of came across as like hat on a hat you know um mm -hmm. of like two bookends like it didn't uh it didn't feel so much like a, a symmetrical mirror as much as it felt like the meat of the story with two separate bookends and then like by the time we got to the last part of the customer short i was like oh, this shit's still going on like I've, i yeah. feel like we've ended the movie guys like 
It is um, the toothpick and olive on the top of your club sandwich, and then you pick it up, and then there's another toothpick and olive on the other side. You're like, what the fuck? They did this twice. <laughs> I threw away the first one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess... I guess one of the flaws I would say is the pacing uh, that or it, that's something that it kind of takes away from it. Um, and I, I might've just not done the last one, you know, like I might've like, it worked fine as an intro, the, the customer thing. We didn't need an outro. That is a textbook post credit screen. Cause it's the pre-credit, mm, it's the yes, pre-credit role that is you know because there's like a loose end in one of the stories and that's a creative way to kind of tie it up mm -hmm. but like putting it at the end of you know we've tapered off like this long one this medium one and you're like okay wait wait, wait, wait. there's like one more one or two more minutes on this other one from like before mm -hmm. having it as like a post-credit thing and you know this before it was all the rage in the comic book movie uh genre this was you know, it wasn't as popularized just yet, but I think it would have worked better like that. It was very mercifully short, so I don't really hate on it too much, I guess. Yeah. It just felt like it was in the wrong place. I think my main problem was kind of sticking around after the Mickey Rourke segment, which is like 44 minutes long. Yeah. And then we start yeah. another 38 minute story and I'm like... I like Clive Owen. I love Benicio del Toro, but hot damn, man! <laughs> you just put me through a lot. I can't be asked to like really dive into another meaty subject again. Yeah. And so when we come back to like what I've said before about like wanting to only have like three shorts or something like that, um, I, I think there's something to be said for no matter how good the shorts are. Um, or no matter how good each individual one is, it is a lot to go through a whole story arc and end it and then start a new one. You know, right. like, and, and it's a lot as an audience member to uh, to complete the arc and begin again so many times. You know, like, it's, 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 a, little, it's a little tiring, and if it's not done right, it can get old. Um, I didn't feel that it did in this movie, um, but I don't know. Like I, I do think some things could have could have been paced differently, maybe to the uh, to the overall benefit of the movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I like. I almost feel like an additional little story in between those two big ones would have been fun. It's like our yeah. our favorite um, our favorite segment from heavy metal was the B fifty two segment. Yeah, and that thing yeah. was like three minutes long, and it was put between like two they weren't this long but they were like longer stories within that movie and then here's just like two three minute vignette of like a cool atmospheric badass kind of story and then we start on the next longer story after this cool little reprieve i guess not all anthologies have to work the same way though i i, I guess we're trying there's only so much we could do with when we're shooting it live I guess. Yeah. Are we going to get like, another famous actor? <laughs> Fuck. May, so this didn't really have a bumper, you know? Like, I, I like anthologies with a classic bumper. Um, 
And maybe that could have made it work a little better if we had a middle bumper in the Josh Hartnett series um, or something along those lines. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, where's he been? What's he up to? Yeah, well, I, 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 this movie was a. I was. I remember when Josh Hartnett was everywhere. I, I haven't thought about him in like a decade. It, like someone you haven't thought about it in a decade, and like I, I, I saw him in the opening segment. And I was like, I know exactly who that is. <laughs> he was in fucking Oppenheimer. What? Yeah, Ernest Lawrence. I feel like I came away from Oppenheimer being like. Damn, remember that guy? He was in this movie too, and doing that for like fifty different people. But yeah, he was in uh, he was in Oppenheimer. Cool, good for him. Hell yeah! I hope he's at the uh, Oscars here in a couple weeks. Josh the Hitman Hartnett, you got this. Hey, he was a hitman in this. Josh the Hitman Hartnett. <laughs> nice, it worked. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> His dad Brett would be very proud. Um, <laughs> hey, I get that. Uh, yeah. Uh, where else do you want to go with this one? Do you want to... Tarantino's name... Uh, I asked you a question, then I answered it for myself. Tarantino's name was attached to this. Yes. And I thought that was very interesting. I'm like, wonder what he directed. I thought it would have been a whole segment. Nope. Turns out it was just one scene within that third or fourth segment with Clive Owen. Which I think helped a lot. It's literally... if If you have seen the movie, it's it's the scene where Clive Owen is driving Benicio del Toro's corpse to the other side of town to kind of dispose of the body. Mm-hmm. But the corpse is kind of sp- speaking to Clive Owen within his own head. Tarantino's direction was just the scene of those two having a discussion in the car and having a different director kind of, it makes the movie feel different and in that moment, it's the first time a dead person is talking to a living person. So having that kind of different feel and different atmosphere of like someone else's hands kind of crafting that segment, I think really works from the storytelling perspective. I think that's really cool. It's just like, it's the only like supernatural sort of segment in the story. It's kind of more fantastical. So having someone else put it on film automatically makes it feel off from the rest of the movie so i think that's an effective way to uh to kind of do that man i love that take i love that take i wonder if uh i wonder if there's any other examples of it yeah i i have i have no idea (laughs) i do not know uh i would i would like to see that and it's interesting that um so basically Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez are co-directors on this movie. The, what is it? The American Association of Directors? Directors Guild? Something like that. The Directors Guild basically wouldn't allow them to credit both guys as a director if they weren't already part of like an established team. Like the Coen brothers would be like an established duo of directors Mm -hmm. so neither guy wanted to give themselves full credit so rodriguez just quit the guild so he could give miller uh director's credit in here fuck yeah robert rodriguez ride or die motherfucker um 
I love it. Know, yeah. Do you know he had a, a wrestling promotion? No. It's uh it's very highly revered. It's called uh, Lucha Underground. Uh, it ran for like uh, I think four seasons, and uh, the wrestling happened in this like stylized Aztec temple, and uh, they had uh, Aztec history Aztec history PhDs on staff, and it was like all Aztec myth and wrestling, but all of the like all of the talking and all the backstage stuff was just shot cinematically. You know, like there was no like this is real sports. You know, like they just did multiple cameras clearly edited soundtrack and uh man everybody fucking loved it uh and robert rodriguez is a baby face with me forever for making lucha underground so fucking tight that's sick man and you know he probably edited that too (laughs) yeah he he edits all his own movies famously it's famous to me i don't know I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. He he feels like, how can you say that you made a movie if you didn't edit it, basically? That's kind of his philosophy on Damn. Direct, directing. So in the opening credits, it says, shot and cut by Robert Rodriguez, directed by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez. So he's he's somebody that'll have his hands on the editing process. He, in, it has to be that way for him, basically. Dude, Which I really respect. liked. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> As a, as a dude who uh, pretty much only likes screenwriting and editing in the filmmaking process, I actually really don't like shooting. <laughs> um, I, I respect an editor. It's kind of, uh, you know, it, I think it's a really underappreciated job, you know, and I've, I've heard uh, a saying I really like is that a movie gets made four times um, when you write it, when you shoot it, when you edit it, and when you market it. Um, and I, I really hmm. do agree that, like, editing is, like, as significant of a role in making the movie as writing and directing for sure yeah but it's like it's not something you notice like uh, and i i will pull back on that here in a minute but editing is something that i almost never notice in a movie unless it's bad yeah i almost never notice good editing in movies there's such a precision to it that if it is if you do notice it usually that's not a good sign right yeah basically like if you're like oh there was a weird cut here like i wasn't like if it kind of catches you off guard or just like makes you realize oh someone put this movie together that kind of fucks with my head a little bit i'm just like oh editor shaking fist i think the only exceptions are I don't know their names, and I'm very, very sorry. Uh, whoever does Robert Eggers' movies, specifically The Northman, and Greta Gerwig's movies, specifically Lady Bird. I thought those were, like, fantastic. And I, when we covered both of those movies on this show, I praised the editing. I was like, holy shit. I noticed how good the editing was, and it didn't distract me from the immersion of the story that was being told, basically. I came back later and realized how good the editing was so yay editors that's why we're here to wave wave the editing flag here on movies for women who edits this podcast again oh yeah i wonder if there's got to be some sort of bias here (laughs) (laughs) could it couldn't be me we salute you leg workers of the film industry yeah they're all (laughs) The Oscar for best leg work goes to. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, by the way, Josh Hartnett played like Oppenheimer's when he goes to the university or whatever. He's like the main guy showing him around, being like, here's your job. We're working on the centrifuge thing. Uh, huge, massive character that I forgot was him. Does, if, does you, if you see a picture, if you see a picture of the character, you'll be like, "Oh yeah, no shit, that was him." Oh no. D- oh, does no. Oppenheimer suck? Like, has it been long enough that we can just maybe have an honest conversation about it? No, it doesn't suck. It's good. Uh, I don't know. It might suck, dude. Uh that's just like your opinion, man. So we'll we'll get into we'll we'll do an Oscar episode here in a couple of weeks. I was hoping to do like a segment of top 10 movies from 2023 2023 sure. was a big 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 year of movies i thought 2022 was huge yep there's a lot to talk about with last year as well so i'm high on oppenheimer I'm trying to make that into a joke i can't do it oppenheimer <laughs> uh but yeah it's 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 a good movie you're just you're just a different guy with different tastes so yeah i am and i don't I don't like validating Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. That's fine. I think there's things about Oppenheimer that work better than others of his body of work, I'll say. You know, since we're in the neighborhood... Oh. There's some stylistic comparisons between Oppenheimer and Sin City, wouldn't you say? Please elaborate. I'm not going to agree to that just yet, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, uh, significant use of color juxtaposed with black and white. That's that's something that's 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 present in both films. Yeah, Josh Hartnett's there too. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, we've One's got definitely bomb- more boring. We've, we've got bombshell babes, and we've got bombs. Yeah, babe shell bombs. We've got uh, different colors and hues and then we've got florence pews Eh? (laughs) all right we've got people smoking drugs in one movie and then we've got emily blunt in the other damn Eh? i see it there's it's the it's a common common threads all over the place i was surprised at how many you were able to get out of that bit that was impressive dude (laughs) christopher nolan's a hack Obviously. <laughs> that last Christopher Nolan's a hack, that's called the prestige, baby. That's <laughs> oh! what that act of the bit was. Greg just prestiged us with that. He makes it go away and he brings it back again. <laughs> oh man. Hell yeah. Great reference, by the way. Thank I you. was gonna bail on that that <laughs> tangent, but decided to stick around. Christian Bale. So yeah, are, are we done with the our little uh, little flick here, Sin City? You know, I, I did have one question I wanted to ask you about Sin City. Um, Axe away. What did you think of uh, the choice to have some characters highly stylized, like Mickey Rourke's Marv and uh, the Yellow Bastard, for example, uh, but to have uh, most of the characters not? What, how did that hit you? Um... I don't think I noticed, and kind of looking back on it now that you ask, I don't think it really, it doesn't irk me in any sort of way. I, it makes me appreciate those overly stylized characters more, because there's something, like, so striking about, like, we're at this point in the movie, 
and there's this bright yellow ugly fucker with giant ears who's nothing else in the movie has been yellow period yeah and then here's this asshole yeah there's something striking and effective about that but yeah like elijah wood's character he's stylized with the bright white glasses Mm -hmm. i forgot that was him until i rewatched it Mm -hmm. um (laughs) you know clive owen is just a guy in a coat even though um mickey rourke's character is clearly um very fixated on coats as a character clive (laughs) owen is just more or less just a guy in a coat i i think you can't overly stay. they would have just looked fucking goofy yeah a, a yuck if i may <laughs> um if you try to like super stylize every single character even yeah. the main ones so i think it was used sparingly and effectively that's what i have to say yeah. long story short I'd have to agree with you. I just know that, like, honestly, I'm just such a fanboy for stuff like this. I just wanted to get a non-fanboy perspective to see if it was actually good. Um, I, I oh, love nice. the Yellow Bastard and uh, and Marv walking around with his Hulk hands. And, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Dude, man, I, that was fun. We've been putting Mickey Rourke over a lot in this episode, in this uh, podcast last few months, so... <laughs> Yeah, one of my uh, one of my notes was actually that it was funny to see uh, Elijah Wood uh, hit that sports entertainment finish on Randy the Ram when he took him out with the sledgehammer. That's a <laughs> that's a classic classic Triple H antic right there. <laughs> Dude, you're you're guaranteed a sports entertainment segment on this podcast, folks. Always, and and you're guaranteed that I will unironically call it sports entertainment. So that's fun. Two people um, ever have done that, folks. Greg Johnson and Vince McMahon. Me and him were awfully similar. <laughs> I wouldn't be saying that on the air. I yeah, <laughs> On this very small, specific thing only. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, I just got us uncancelled with that show opening apology. Now you do oh, this shit. Oh, poor my, choice of words. My take on race is... <laughs> Ugh. all right anyway now greg which lives matter would you say all right um as a white man as a white man let me just as a champion say. of as a champion of women's rights <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways i hope people don't think i'm this vince mcmahon <laughs> <laughs> i hope people don't think i would be hanging out with you if you were so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm more of a Hulk Hogan guy. So, anyways, Danny, let's get in. Jesus Christ, man! <laughs> Trying to fucking help what? you. What's wrong? What's the matter with him now? Oh. Do you want me to start with the '90s and work my way up to the current? Oh man, we could do a whole episode about this. Uh, no, I don't need educating. Thank you. Um, I think our feelings are him on him are pretty black and white. Yeah, like when so he joined the NWO. But Greg, you're on the wrong side of history. NWO Black and White was very clearly inferior to NWO Red and Black. Wolfpack for life! Aroo! I'm sure someone listening knows what the hell you're talking about. Uh, for now, it's not me. So let's get into some gimmicks here. Uh, Wolfpack forever, a woo, uh, rock and roll, or whatever. So, Denny. 
Yes. We haven't done this in a while. It is still topical with the Oscars coming up, even yes. though we missed a couple weeks here. Our Academy Award for Best Short Film. I have a feeling we might have the same one, but I'm curious what your winner is. Our best I... uh, segment of the movie. I went with Marv, Mickey Rourke's Marv segment. I forget what the title Ooh. is. Um, Me too. There was, uh, in the Yellow Bastard short, the first half of it didn't work for me as well. Um, I, I really loved the second half of Yellow Bastard, but I honestly had some hang-ups with like, performances in the, in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Madsen fucking mailed this in, and I don't know why, because he apparently specifically requested to be in the movie. Um, he, oh, no, this is his casting. He uh, he apparently walked up to Robert Rodriguez at some party and was like, why am I not cast in Sin City? And he was like, well, you can be. There's one uncast role, and it was this one. So that that's how, that's the thought that went into Michael Madsen <sighs> as, as, as the choice for this. So um, I he's thought, got He's got the look for that role, I will say. I've just and maybe I've, maybe I know he, what he leaned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he was influenced by what he thought a noir crooked cop would kind of act like. Yeah, that makes sense. He had a different idea than what the rest of the movie was kind of doing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe this goes into. <laughs> Maybe he never even touched Bruce Willis. They've never met before. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe he only ever saw Robert Rodriguez while making the movie. It's, it could be true. Definitely possible. You know what? Really, I, I got to say. So you're going with the Marv segment. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, Marv I'm... segment. It, it speaks for itself. It's it's a dope ass uh, uh, man on a mission warpath story. Hell yeah. And I will say that I think a lot of my confusion on, again, like I said, I thought Zack Snyder made this. That's how far back in my mind this movie's been. Mm -hmm. I thought Mickey Rourke was the yellow bastard, but that character's name is Rourke. So Okay, well that's legitimately confusing, and there's like several people named Rourke in this movie. Yeah, there's like the Senator Rourke. Cardinal Rourke. and And then there's Rourke Jr., who is one guy in the first segment of the yellow bastard. And then he's the yellow bastard spoilers in the second segment. Um, my Academy award for best short film actually was that yellow bastard. I, I wanted to say like just part two, but I think the strength of the movie really is like, I think Bruce Willis's character might be the best or at least the most comic book noir. I think it's the most successfully portrayed character. Mm Mm-hmm. And that story is super interesting. I think it had the most emotional impact, mm-hmm. and it had the most uh, slick visuals featuring other characters with, again, the titular Yellow Bastard, mm-hmm. of course, being so striking, disgusting. And then uh, Bruce Willis just kind of castrates him with his hands, so that's fun. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a yellow, stinky guy. I liked that short a lot and it wasn't all that short i guess but <laughs> it was medium that was my favorite medium uh what was your favorite line denny for sin city i'm looking at my favorite lines i wrote down here and i'm not really remembering the context of a lot of them uh i think uh I, i'll give a runner up to here's a sign followed by an axe to the taint um i i think i'm gonna go nice. with uh <laughs> 
shoving my mouth so hard into hers it hurts uh apparently dude makes out like a xenomorph um so (laughs) (laughs) what's your favorite line uh my runner-up was the nazi henchman with a swastika on Mm -hmm. his forehead right here i'm pointing at where the forehead is uh he's shot by an arrow by our only asian character who's Maybe not so tastefully portrayed either. Uh, but he's shot by an arrow, and it's like piercing his abdomen. He's like, hey. I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my favorite line is from Bruce Willis in the Yellow Bastard segment. He says it twice, once in the first once the first time, and the second to kind of close out the, uh, the segment altogether. An old man dies. A little girl lives. Fair trade. Mm. I liked I liked a lot of his inner monologue, and uh, that line stuck out both times. So there you go. Bruce Willis is so fucking good. He's an awesome actor. <sighs> Notable cool guy, Bruce yeah. Willis. Holy shit. We've done Pulp Fiction here already, folks. We'll do more of him later. Maybe we can die hard sometimes. Uh, all right, Denny, no what idea, did you give? Mm, sounds like you're going to do it with a vengeance. Now, Denny, what would you give Sin City on the old Critiker score scale? Uh, let me. I think I gave it a 39. Um, let me pull it up. Oh, Critiker. I love how slowly you load when I'm podcasting. Yeah, if you feel something different in your heart, you know, um, let me know. I, I gave it a 39, which for me is basically... The highest rating I can give something that's like mostly for fanboys is is kind of how it's kind of how I uh, would rate it. Um, I I want to give it something in the forties because there's there's so much I admire about it, but mm-hmm. something tells me it just doesn't quite belong there. Uh, I'll I'll stick with the thirty nine for now um, with with possible okay. reevaluation in the future. Um, I thought say, you might I thought you might go with an even forty. Which I guess is in the forties technically, but you know. I feel like I feel like this is closer to a forty-five than a forty for me, if that makes sense. Um like if I was gonna break the forty threshold, it would be because I think it's better than it is. I don't know. Like I don't know if this makes any sense. I have a weird way of doing things in my brain. <laughs> oh. Uh, you don't say. Uh, emotion <laughs> plays a huge role, I guess, in in your score. It's kind of the gist of it. So yeah, no judgment. Uh, I well, speaking of judgment, I judged this movie and I gave it a thirty-one out of forty. Uh, that's a little shy of an eight out of ten. I think yeah. I found myself just completely enamored with the visuals, like I like I said. But like the story and the flow of everything, maybe didn't click just right and like i said uh let's let's punch women just a little bit less in our movies that's that's all i'm asking so 31 out of 40 i think it's a good one it's the same score i gave dreams which feels weird but (laughs) there was there was that is weird there's no uh segment where a guy's walking around a painting like a vhs about art that you would watch in fifth grade art class i'll say that sorry akira but (laughs) 
you're no Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before I dig a, a hole too much deeper, Danny, what are we doing next week? We are doing the... We, we decided that since we lost uh, Kurosawa's dreams, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're going to do the runner-up of the poll uh, to extend the theme one more week so it wasn't just two themes because how could you call that an anthology with two shorts? That's not an anthology. That's Chunking Express. No one else has ever done anything like that. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so we are going to go with the poll runner-up. It was a tie between... Four rooms and house, I believe, and uh, yeah, the tiebreaker was that Vanessa and I had already said we were going to watch Four Rooms that night, so that was a vote <laughs> in favor of Four Rooms. So uh, we'll be getting more Robert Rodriguez and more Quentin Tarantino next week on Four Rooms, the episode. I don't know why I was using my outro voice. There's more to say, isn't there? <laughs> and cut. Uh, not quite. Not quite. Um, yeah, Denny, I, I think we're done here. I'm excited for next week. Uh, this is a movie I kind of forgot existed. We're kind of sticking with the same the same folks next week. I'm kind of excited for that. So uh, I, I promise I'll watch it before we record. <laughs> <laughs> so get ready for that. Thank you guys for voting, by the way. That rocks. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Sorry we lost an episode. On it you. was... It was one of the better ones we've done in a while. Like, I, it hurt to lose that one, to be honest. Of all the ones, man, of all the ones, I'm, I'm, I was mad the whole rest of the day. Yeah, man, that was. Uh, I was really starting to feel like we were getting our groove back. Um, but alas, we could not be Stella. No, so. we could not be. We've got to get a new groove. We've got to be like the Emperor. Oh, nice. Thank you. All right, let's let's poison the outro with this. Oh no, the outro turned into a llama, Denny. I don't have anything. Just fucking shut me up and close it out. For Greg Work, the llama Johnson. I'm Denny, the ah. don't have anything Taylor, and this has been movies for when. We already told you when, but you know what we didn't tell you? Our thoughts on Akira Kurosawa's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> What's too soon again? <laughs> <laughs>
Stay.